Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, Friday, the 23rd of July edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides, also known as Draft Day. It's the NHL entry draft happening tonight. Uh, we'll have a lot of coverage for you on Flyers 24-7, myself, Brian Smith, and Bill Meltzer. And also, obviously, on Flyers Daily coming up next week. We've got a ton to get to in this episode. We're going to hear from Chuck Fletcher on the move of Shane Gossespierre. We'll talk about that in a second. We're going to hear from Flyers scout Mark Gregg. Had a son last year, Ridley Gregg, in the draft, was taken by Ottawa last year. Uh, we'll talk to Mark in our last edition of uh, Scouts uh, conversations here on Flyers Daily in advance of the draft tonight. And we'll get to that coming up in just a bit as well. But let's kind of go with that by things in order here. For the first time really probably since the season ended, uh, I had to write down notes of all the different things to discuss on this edition of Flyers Daily. It hasn't been this busy in a long time, so let's kind of go through these as they happened. Uh, since we last spoke on Wednesday's edition, we've obviously had the expansion draft. Carson Torinsky was taken by the Seattle Kraken. Uh, he was taken by the Flyers in the third round, number 82 overall, back in the 2016 NHL entry draft. Spent a lot of time with the Phantoms, played 22 games in the NHL for the Flyers, 15 games back in 2019-20, and then he got into seven games this past season. Uh, he's got one goal uh, for one point in his NHL career and six penalty minutes, and he is now a new member of the Seattle Kraken. Um, as far as the expansion draft goes, bit of a head-scratcher for me in a lot of the picks that Ron Francis took. Uh, he certainly looks like he's trying to build up his defense, and he did a good job, I think, in that regard. As far as offensively, I'm still trying to kind of crack the code on what he tried to accomplish and what he did accomplish, and we'll see what the roster looks like when the offseason's over. But uh, a bit of a head-scratcher for me in a lot of different ways. And just because there's been a lot of things rumored uh, that were going to happen through Seattle and didn't happen, that doesn't mean those types of things don't still have a chance or have a path to happening. Um, I think everybody kind of knows what I'm alluding to, Voracek and Tarasenko. Uh, just because that didn't involve, that doesn't involve, at least at this point, Seattle, doesn't mean that that's something that can't happen. Um, you may have a situation where you still have two players um, that are looking for a new address, a new start, and just because Seattle's not involved doesn't mean it's impossible. And I think we saw pretty clearly that Ron Francis, the general manager of the Seattle Kraken, was driving a very hard bargain to park cap space with the Seattle Kraken. He was asking for a very high price. Chuck Fletcher, and you'll hear from him in a minute, he mentioned it, that in order for Seattle to take Shane Gossespierre in the expansion draft, they wanted Cam York. To me, that's absurd. That's an absurd ask. And eventually... Uh, we'll get, let's get to it right now. Uh, Shane Gossespierre was traded to the Arizona Coyotes along with a second-round pick and a seventh-round pick. And I think the important thing to keep in mind when it comes to this trade, and I've talked about this, and Bill and Alter and I have talked about it a lot, uh, and I've said that cap space is the most valuable commodity in the NHL, even more so than players at some, in, in some ways, because with a flat cap and we don't know when it's going to go back up, uh, achieving cap relief or cap freedom is very difficult, and it comes at a premium price. So those clubs like Arizona uh, that are in position to take on money, they do it, uh, and they get paid handsomely for it. Arizona is a team in a rebuild. They're looking for draft picks. The Flyers sent a second-round pick. And some people look at that, and at first blush you go, wow, you traded away Shane Gosses Bear 
and a pick, two picks, and you didn't get anything in return. What you got in return is $4.5 million of cap space over the next couple of years. That is the worth in the deal. And I said this last year when the cap went flat before they even went back to the bubble, that we have to kind of change our expectation of what you get in return for a player while the cap is flat. And this is a prime example of that. Um, Shane Gossespair uh, needed a fresh start uh, the last few years here in Philadelphia. He's been beset by injuries, and it's affected his game. I thought he played really well this past season after he cleared waivers. Um, Chuck Fletcher's talked about it this offseason that just about everything he is going to do is with the goal of lessening the goals against for his team. Shane Gossespierre is not a great defender. He's a play-driving offensive defenseman. And sometimes when not putting up great points or not being great defensively, you know, he couldn't overcome his weaknesses with his strength. It didn't balance out on the other end. And I've, I called him on Twitter a marginal player. Um, and I think that the trade kind of bears that out. That's my opinion. Some people think that's crazy. He's, a, he's an, an analytic starling uh, because he's a play-driving offensive defenseman. Uh, but I, I think a fresh start for him is, is in order, and he's going to get one in Arizona, and I wish him nothing but uh, great success out there and continuing his career. I will say this, that uh, off the ice, Shane Goss' bear did a lot of good things in this community. Uh, with the SPCA, he and his fiance is going to be married in a couple weeks here in August. Um, did a lot of good to the community as well. So, And he was an exciting player, a dramatic player. Um, and when he first came up, the, the excitement that he brought uh, with his point streak and just the, the flair with which he played the game was very exciting. Uh, but it's time for a new start, and the Flyers gain the cap space, and Shane Goss' pair uh, moves on to become a member of the Arizona Coyotes. All said and done. Shane Gossespierre has played in Philadelphia since the 2014-15 season. Now, he only got in two games that year. The next year, 64 games, 17 goals, 29-6, 46 points. He had a couple, two year, or three years into his career, basically, in 78 games. He had a 65-point season with 13 of those points being goals. Uh, he was a power play quarterback and, and really a good player for the Flyers. 381 games played, all said and done. 60 goals, 159 assists for 219 points and a minus 31 over his time here in Philadelphia. So best of luck to Shane Gostaspare. Also, the Flyers' schedule has been released. This is like an embarrassment of riches. We went like this long period of time with nothing happening. Now everything's happening at the same time. Uh, but the Flyers' schedule has been released along with the other NHL clubs, and the Flyers will open their season in the middle of October, October 15th, a little later, about a week later than normal, uh, against the Vancouver Canucks, so the odd first opponents of the season continues with taking last year out of the equation where they took on Pittsburgh for two in Philadelphia. But they're going to take on Vancouver uh, to open the season. They'll also open the season with a four-game homestand. Week two, or not week two, game two is against the Seattle Kraken, who are going to open up on the road because uh, their arena is not going to be quite finished yet. So we'll get a look at the Kraken, two, the second game of the season, uh, coming up on October 18th, which is a Monday. Uh, the Bruins and the Panthers will be a part of that four-game home set as well. First road game. Then they'll head to Western Canada for their first road trip. They'll take on the Oilers, Canucks, and Calgary. They'll head back home for a game against the Arizona Coyotes and Shane Gostaspare. And then they'll take on the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Capitals on the road. And uh, they'll wrap up the season in April against the Ottawa Senators. Season won't wrap up until April 29th, 
because there's also an Olympic break in there. Only four games in the calendar month of February. They'll play on the 1st of February and then not again until the 23rd because of the Olympic break. The Olympics don't happen and the NHL does not go. The schedule will be amended. There will not be a 223-day break or 22-day break in the schedule uh, coming up in February. So uh, that's what's on tap. But let's get to Chuck Fletcher, who had a chance to meet with the media yesterday and talk about the trade of Shane Gostaspear. And here's what he's had to say. Yeah, hi, Chuck. Uh, I think we all agree that uh, Ghost had a pretty good year last season coming back from the uh, surgeries. Uh, with that in mind, were you surprised that uh, uh, no teams were willing to offer anything for him? Yeah, to be honest with you, a little bit. Uh, but in saying that, it's um, it's a tough environment out there right now. It's tough to move money. I think everybody saw that last night with the Seattle expansion draft. And I had many, many, many conversations with Ron Francis before. And I spoke to him last night and again today. And he, you know, he made clear they wanted to keep their powder dry. And cap space is so important. And teams are going to be in trouble. Um, if not now, then later on the summer or next year and, and just having multiple opportunities to quote unquote, help, help other teams. And, um, so it, the environment's tough. Um, you know, first of all, look, uh, Shane played really well for us, not just last year, but for many years, he, he's a, was a model citizen. He was at skate zone today, working out on his own and training. He's a true professional. He was a very good flyer. So I really want to thank him for that, but you know, our reality was pretty simple. And when you factor in, um, you know, the expected raises that Sanheim and Carter Hart will, will receive, and, and we very much want to sign those two players, uh, we didn't have a lot of space left to fill the holes we needed to fill. So uh, we made the move we had to make. Um, I spoke to every team in the league several times over the, you know, really going back a year and a half now, had a pretty good idea of what the market was couple teams that made offers. One team had asked for Cam York uh, to take Goss's pair. Another team had asked for our first round pick this year to take Goss's pair. So this was the best move we could make. And, and um, hopefully now it allows us to get into some other opportunities um, over the next few days. Uh, what was uh, Shane's reaction to the deal? You know, Shane didn't have a lot to say. He was professional. Uh, you know, we just thanked each other. Uh, I, you know, I think it's, I'm sure anytime you get that call, um, I, I don't know that it was unexpected. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations over, over the years and, um, you know, when Shane wasn't playing as much about maybe trying to find him a better opportunity, but, but uh, he loved it here. I know that. And, and yet I think uh, Arizona is, is, is excited to, to get him and I'll let them speak to it, but it sounds like you'll have an opportunity to, to have a, have a bigger role there than you, you potentially would have had here. In the wake of this trade, I guess, how do you evaluate your your cap situation now? Do, do you think you'll need to move more pieces out, or, or where do you think you stand in the moment? Well, better. Uh, obviously better. Um, I, I think we have the, you know, the ability to, to fill all our holes and, and maybe focus in on one or two of them. You know, ideally, uh, if you can make a hockey trade where you're moving dollars and taking dollars on, and, and you know, that, that can maximize your cap space. So we'll just look and see where, you know, I would say we're involved in a lot of conversations right now, as you tend to be this time of the year, um, you know, free agencies less than a week away and, you know, free agency can be good and bad. Certainly have an opportunity maybe to fill some holes. Uh, but 
I don't know that we're in a position to be chasing uh, players and outbidding teams. So we'll see what we can do here in advance of free agency. We have, we're certainly in a better position, not just for this year, but also for 22-23 with this move today. And, and uh, yet we recognize we have a few more holes to fill. With regards to to Ghost, uh, did the uh, you know the timeline of of Cam York, who you guys are really high on, and the fact that he's closing in on an NHL readiness, did that play into why you know maybe you felt Ghost was was expendable? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, both Cam York and Zamula are, are young players that we hope over the next twelve months can can push for an NHL uh, roster spot, and and certainly that would would influence that decision. And, and, um, you know, and, and part of it too, is the ability to make a deal. Um, you know, there, it's hard, hard to move. Um, I think you guys saw that yesterday. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of players around the league that are very good hockey players that uh, were not selected by Seattle for, for the very same reasons that, uh, I made this move today. It just, it, it cap space is really, really tough. And, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, next two, three years, it's it's not going to improve all that much. And it, everybody's pretty careful. Did the acquisition of Ryan Ellis also sort of um, play into this decision, Chuck? Just the fact that hope, you know, I would envision a whole play on a power play. And then you have Ivan Provrov as well. And then uh, obviously a power play quarterback is something that Gosses Pair does. Did that play uh, into the decision? Not necessarily. I mean, obviously, um, I think we easily could add a team with, with both players on it. Um, you know, we, we took on a little cap space, uh, you know, with looking at the Ellis Meyer salary differential with, with Patrick. Um, so, you know, that, that didn't, you know, obviously that decreased the amount of uh, available cap space we had. So this, this was purely a cap move. And, um, and again, going back to what Charlie mentioned earlier, you know, we do feel in, in, in the not too distant future that players like Cam York and Igor Zamula can, can come in and, and, and play for this club and help this club and, and, and uh, do so on, uh, you know, uh, potentially on an entry level deal, which, which is beneficial in a cap system. Um, I, obviously, I, a lot of people would, would, would think that, you know, the price that you have to pay to, to move salary is, is a little bit steep. And obviously, you know, it is for everybody. It was for the Islanders even yesterday as well. Um, how long did you kind of know that this is what the price was going to be for you to move that kind of salary uh, in, in the world, the flat cap world that you're going to be in? And, and did you kind of anticipate this for a long while? Yeah, you know, I first spoke to Bill Armstrong about this. Uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, we were in Buffalo. So I'm not sure maybe the last time we were in Buffalo. So I believe it was after the trade deadline. I can't remember, but it's been several months and we talked about this concept and, and um, you know, we both wanted to wait till after the expansion draft, just you know, just to let the, the landscape settle a little bit. And uh, so I, I've spoken with Bill several times over the last few weeks about this type of situation. Obviously, I, I worked hard to see if I could improve upon this or look at different options. Um, I did speak to Seattle about them and, and um, you know, and, and this, this was a better, a much, much better uh, situation for us than, than that. So, you know, we, we, look, we looked at every, every available alternative and, and um, this is where we are today. Does this make it uh, more feasible that you can come to a longer term deal with Carter Hart? Um, I know he's an RFA, but it, would you rather get him locked down at maybe some more years and more money and 
is yeah, why you might have needed. I don't know that this would impact that either way. Um, you know, I, I have, um, we've made our qualifying offer to Carter and, and probably next week, you know, I'll have some preliminary conversations with Carter's representative and, you know, there's really no hurry there. We'll, we'll just see. We, we haven't had a lot of conversations yet about the contract. And, um, and just like we have it with, with Sandheim or, or, you know, other people as well. It's just that, that time of the year is sort of coming. And we'll, we'll get a feel for what their preferences are and, and, you know, what the price point would be at different term lengths like you always do and see what makes sense. But, you know, I think it's really important right now that we take care of kind of the immediate holes that we need to fill, whether it's uh, through trade or through free agency, because those things dry up right away. And then we'll have time after that to, um, you know, to look and do the right thing for both, you know, our players and, and our team with respect to those restrictive free agents. At this point, has the outlook changed at all regarding using versus moving the 13 pickers? It's still too fluid to lean one way or the other. Well, I was pretty adamant I wasn't going to use it to, to dump salary. Um, I did make that decision. Um, you know, look, we're, we're certainly ready to, to draft at 13. I would say that uh, I'm very open-minded to, to using it if we can add a player that can help us. Um, so I, I'm probably more um, active in listening on, on 13 this year than, than I have been in, in previous years. Um, you know, in fairness, last year, we really didn't have any cap space and, uh, you know, so it wasn't really, didn't really make a lot of sense. But this year we have a little more flexibility. So if something makes sense via trade, we'll certainly look at it and, and potentially do it, uh, but yet, you know, we're happy to pick at 13 too. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're open-minded and that's really what the last little while has been all about. And certainly a lot of calls today, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more going until uh, tomorrow afternoon. Hi, hi Chuck. Uh, Shane got off to such a great start here in Philadelphia, but things seem to sort of flatten out the last few years. Was it just a case of injuries or was, was he not a good fit here right now? Or what do you think happened? Well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I wasn't here when he first broke in. I certainly remember watching the Flyers play and scouting him, and, and he had some tremendous seasons. Injuries certainly impacted him, uh, really, since I started here. Um, you know, my first season when I came in, he wasn't 100%, and, um, and really uh, the next year he wasn't 100%, and this was the first year that he, he was better and uh, trying to regain his timing, and I think he played better, so – you know, I think the talent level of, of you know, of, of the defense corps probably improved as some of the young players have emerged and gotten better. And but certainly injuries impacted them. And and, uh, and now we have a flat salary cap. So, you know, I think you're going to see there's been some movement already. And whether it's through expansion or pre pre uh, expansion draft list uh, going in and, and you'll see a lot more. I mean, there's just not a lot of liquidity, um, a lot of frustrated teams. And, and I think you'll see a lot of moving parts here for various reasons. And, and they're good players. There's good players going each way. And, but everybody's looking for maybe to fill a, a hole and you think you got enough depth and, and uh, you can fill a different hole. So you're, you're going to see a lot of that stuff here, I think, the next, next week or so. And it should be exciting. But, but um, you know, again, it's, th this, this environment's um, – uh, been complicated yet there's going to be a lot of movement Chuck you talked about the holes you guys have backup goalie is an obvious one um, it would seem like going in now you would be pretty young on defense uh, so what um, what do you think what what about these holes what 
what kind of priorities do you have or can you see from this point right now? Well, I think we're a little more experienced um, on defense adding Ellis. I mean, that to me was uh, a huge priority. You could argue, I think you could argue it was probably our biggest hole and add a player that can, um, you know, very good penalty killer, play on the power play, play all situations, play big minutes, pair really well, either with Kovarov or Sandheim you know, bring that character element, the intangibles we talk about, the leadership and the experience. So, you know, that was, that was important. Um, certainly we're going to look at um, other options. You know, we need, we need um, to make a decision about the number two goalie. Clearly uh, we need to make it to, you know, look at uh, one or two other opportunities on defense. We have some guys internally that can push, but we certainly are still looking at the outside and, and we have some other holes up front and um, you know, what we can get at what price will be a, a determining factor in which way we go. Our, our cap space will be a determining factor and, and trying to make judgments on which young players we think are closest to making it uh, will, will also be a, a factor. So we're, we have all our staff in, we're meeting, we're talking, we're, you know, it's been a lot of fun. It's been busy, um, but you know, that's exactly what we're going to try to determine here over the next week and see if we can add another piece or two and, you never know. Uh, I believe we can, but we'll, we'll see. And I do expect we'll have a better team by, you know, the end of next Wednesday. And and uh, and that's exciting. But we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, Chuck. Uh, before I ask the question, I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, did you retain any of Go's salary? No. That's why we paid the picks. Okay. And uh, question is: uh, Is would you say the, uh, acquiring or signing a right-handed second pair defenseman is uh, a high priority or, or would you be comfortable if uh, Travis Sanheim moved over to the right side? Yeah. I, you know, high priority. I mean, obviously it's something we're looking at. Um, we wanted to add one coming into the summer and to get Ellis, we moved Myers. So, you know, we really like Ellis, but, you know, certainly we like Braun, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased uh, with Ellis and Braun. So, you know, Sanheim could move to the right side. We could, we could, and, and we could fill, you know, Cam York can play. We have Hag and Moran. Um, you know, you also can add a left shot. You can add a right, you know, it's going to be, you know, there's the ideal world. There's a the real world. I mean, sure. A right shot would be great. Um, there's not a lot of supply. So we'll see if there's something there that we can find that makes sense that we can acquire and, and um, fit in our cap. And if not, again, I'm, I'm comfortable we have players that can play on the right side. Uh, we have young players that can step up. And so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But those are exactly the things we're, we're exploring right now, Sam. There he is, Chuck Fletcher, meeting with the media about the trade of Shane Gostasparo. Let's get to our final scout here as we lead into the NHL draft tonight. It'll be draft night. Brian Smith, Bills Meltzer, and I will have some coverage on Flyers 24-7 streaming. And we'll also have a lot of coverage for you in Monday's episode of Flyers Daily. But here we had a chance to catch up with Flyer Scout Mark Gray. Joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily is uh, another Flyer Scout. Where we, uh, we had a chance to talk to him last year. And he had a little bit of different stress last year heading into the draft because he had a child, well, a son in the draft. Not a child anymore. It is Mark Gregg. Mark, how you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, having me. Does it feel a little more freeing, not with the, the stress of having your kid uh, in the draft and all the, the ramifications thereof? Certainly uh, an interesting experience last year, uh, both you know, building a, a draft list for the Flyers and also 
uh, you know, paying attention to my son and, and going through that experience. So it's nice to be back to normal and, uh, and we can just dial in and hopefully get the Flyers a, another good player. With the unique circumstances, Ridley actually got into some games in the A, played seven games for Belleville of the Senators. What was that experience like for him? What was that experience like for you? Well, he really enjoyed it. Uh, they uh, were really good to him, those older guys. I mean, obviously, with this COVID pandemic, they allowed 18-year-olds to play in the American League, which is kind of unprecedented, and, and you're never sure how that transition will go. But the older guys were great to him. The coaching staff was really good to him. He really enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed watching him play at uh, you know a really high level for a young kid and how he adapted and transitioned. So uh, we both really had a, a good experience with it and enjoyed it. Awesome. You know, it's funny, at this time of year as we're ramping up to the draft, I always go back and look at drafts. And, you know, the 03 draft is tremendous. The draft you were in, where you were taking 15th overall, is not too shabby. I mean, some of the guys that came out of your draft, I mean, you're talking about Yager, right? He's still playing. Could you could you imagine that, you know, you were drafted in the same draft with Yager and he's still playing professionally? Well, it's really hard to wrap your head around uh, the longevity he's had. And, and even some other players in that draft that still played a long, long time, uh, you really have to appreciate their commitment to fitness and, and the dedication and uh, and appreciate what they've done over a long, long period of time. Yeah, I mean, you look at that draft. Owen Nolan goes first. Uh, Peter Nedved's in that draft. He had over 700 points. Primo's in that draft. Yager, who just about 10 years ago this week uh, – was signed with the with the Flyers to actually play here. And then, I mean, you look all at Keith Kachuk in the back part of that first round, Doug Waits in that draft, uh, Chris Terrian in that draft, Zuboff. But all the way in the eighth round, how about Peter Bondra and his nearly 900 points in the eighth round? It's It just goes to show you that, uh, that there's value all over the draft. And, you know, let me ask you about that because finding that value is, is one of the things that you guys are charged with as scouts. And a lot of times you find that in, in what – kind of makes a player tick how's that been kind of hampered that ability for you to kind of get to know the draft eligible kids and not just the hockey player but the person well it can be a challenge i mean this year specifically with covid uh small body of work for the western league the ontario league didn't play so now you're trying to build profiles on players that you're looking back at their underage year or the kids that were fortunate enough to play at the U18 championship, which is not many in the big picture. So you really have to dig this year on learning as much as you can about the the player's history, his pedigree, uh, how he's tried to sustain a year without playing and and work on his body perhaps. So you're relying on agents, uh, you're relying on players themselves to interview them and get to know them as much as you can. And again, in an unprecedented time, uh, I think this year's draft, uh, it has been a challenge. As a guy that went through the process, you as a player, and then also your son recently, you know, this is a really important year athletically for kids. And, And not just because, you know, it's their draft year, but also because it's when their bodies, for some kids, go to a different level muscle composition, athleticism, all those things can go to a different level and so much can change in a year without these kids playing, uh, you know, as much as you would normally see them, uh, Mark, you know, what have they missed out on? Well, it's generated a lot of conversation about a year of development in a primary uh, piece of their, you know, growth. So it's, uh, it's been a challenge uh, trying to work through that. Again, you're speaking to the players, you're speaking to their fitness trainers and so forth and uh, there's a lot of moving pieces that you're trying to piece together here as best you can uh, the one thing that 
I think we're all in this together on a level playing field. So uh, that, you know, you draw some uh, relief in that. Uh, nobody really has an upper hand, but uh, it's there's been more work done on the players off the ice this year than there has been on, and that's really something that we have to uh, spend a lot of time on. Yeah, and that, that could look having Zoom and it's not the ideal way to do it, but now going forward, when we do get back to normal, that can still be a tool that you can use for follow-up conversations and, and add that to the repertoire, right? Absolutely. It's been really effective uh, at different times for different reasons, but certainly a tool I think that'll uh, it'll go forward once we get this pandemic behind us and a way to stay connected to kids and, and their growth and their development and progress, and, and uh, it can stay, uh, stay in touch. Um, you know, you guys are slated... Uh, to pick 13th overall, we'll we'll see how things play out, and if that does happen in the first round, uh, with Arizona having to, to forfeit their pick. Uh, but you know, at 13, there's lines in every draft of you know the the top pedigree, and then there's a, a drop off to another kind of group of of uh, draft eligibles, and then maybe another one. Where do you see kind of you know the 13 position kind of falling? Is that is that the third tier? Is that the second tier? How do you kind of look at that this year? I, I do think you're probably into the second tier, uh, in my opinion. I think it's an okay draft uh, at this point. And again, uh, hard to really deem the value of the overall draft, again, with a lot of the kids not playing or only playing for a small period of time. So in fairness to the group, uh, it's hard to kind of monitor where they are in comparison to past. But I, I do feel you'll get a, a player that helps your team um, and, you know, should be effective guy in the National League. You know, how far do you kind of work ahead, too? Because, you know, one of the things that next year's draft is being pointed to as, as a really good one. How far do you kind of look ahead and, and look at not only the draft that you're preparing for, but the one beyond? Because when you go, you know, to, to a, a, some barn in the Western Hockey League, you, you may have an opportunity to look at a kid that's not draft eligible this year, but is the following year. How much of that work gets done ahead of time? There is a fair bit. There's no question uh, that underages that are playing at the level and, and having success, they're notable right away. And uh, you start to build a little bit of a profile or a book on them and get a foundation of uh, where they are at that time. And then you kind of start to project and, and go forward. So uh, certainly the higher end kids get uh, coverage, uh, I would say, extensive in their underage year. And then, you know, there is the odd time where there's even, you know, a Connor Bedard that's a couple of years away that, you know, you can't help but take note of some of the things that he's done. So notable guys uh, a year before, even two uh, going into the draft, obviously, uh, start to build the reports on and, and get some of that coverage in order. How much a part of that is kind of seeing the kid, his progression year to year, too, to kind of all kind of portend, portend you know, that jump he's going to make from his draft year to the next year and beyond. Yeah, it's it's a significant piece. We like progress. We like to see development. We like to see guys get bigger, stronger, faster, quicker, and then improve. So we we pay a lot of attention to the, the journey that they're on and how it's moving along. Yeah, and you see that, and you, you can kind of get some insight on how, you know how a kid works when he's not playing hockey as well. Um, when you look at this draft this year. Um, from from what you've seen, and I know it's limited this year in scope, comparatively speaking to a normal year, uh, but but is this a more forward-heavy draft, or is, is it defensemen? What's the goalie market look like and what you're seeing out there in the Western? I do think that it's we're leaning on the, the side of forwards this year. I think there's a couple defensemen at the top of the board. 
and then you get into a pretty uh, thicker group of forwards. And there's a couple goalies that have kind of separated and put themselves apart uh, for now, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, but that's kind of the landscape at this point in time. Uh, I would say predominantly a forward group, uh, some higher-end defense, and then a couple goalies. When you look at it, Mark, you know, one of the things I've talked about here on the podcast is you look at the final four teams in this year's playoffs, and uh, there was a study done from, I forget who it was, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to give them credit for it, but they did a good study in The Athletic on the, the final four teams over the last decade, I think the last 11 years since 2010. And the, the average size of their defenseman was six foot two, 219 pounds. Um, when you look at that, you know, the game is so much more skill and speed. It's less physical than ever, but the playoffs are still a bit of a throwback. Do you have to consider that when looking at players and evaluate them, evaluating them, especially at the top of a draft? Well, I think there's no question when you look at the last four teams this year and we all want to find reasons for their success that you're looking at trends or, or commonplace things that are happening. And uh, the final four teams this year, much like you'd mentioned, were a bigger defensive core. Um and you have to take note of that. So it does impact your thought process. You're finding out why teams are having success, what type of players in which sectors, forwards or defense are having success. And you try to, you know, be cognizant of that. Uh, I do think you always stay true to your evaluation on the player, but uh, it's certainly notable when themes or trends or, or, or successes are staying in order to, uh, you know, have it play a part in a decision, uh, maybe sway you a little bit. Are you a little bit shocked that it, it, it's not only that these guys are big, but these are big guys that can move, have good hands, have good hockey. I mean, you're talking about the elite of the elite. But, you know, back in 1990, like we started, right, you know, there were big guys that were big guys, but they weren't great hockey players. These kids are big now. They can move. They can get up the ice. They can join the rush. They can play today's game. And still at that size, it's remarkable, isn't it? It really is. Like, you know, in the days that I played coming in in the early 90s, much like you said, there was big bodies out there, but they had limitations. And now I find these big young players, and I think some of it is the resources they're exposed to now as young kids, the coaching's better, the training's better, the nutrition's better, and they're, you know, they have a lot more science and fact to work with that I think maybe gives them a little better chance. But you really have to marvel at what some of them can do with their size and skill and, uh, and play it at the highest level. And some of them are at a really young age. It's, it's really impressive. Let me ask you real quick about a couple of the picks from last year's draft, because Tyson Forrester and uh, uh, Zade Wisdom both had good years. Um, You know, you guys come out of that draft, you feel good about your selections. Um, But like, but like Ridley, your son, uh, they got to play in the, in the, in the American hockey league, which they wouldn't have probably gotten the chance to to do last year uh, because of the unique circumstances. And both of them had really, really nice seasons. Uh, what did you see out of those two players? Were you able to kind of keep track on them at all? Was uh, Forster and Wisdom? Uh, I think initially, just the fact that we recognize, okay, we're putting 18-year-olds into the American League. It's a little bit unprecedented. Where are they physically? Can they sustain it? And, and then cognitively, these are young men still that uh, you know cognitively are at where they're at. But these two really made the transition really, really well. Uh, Zade. Uh, pretty much played the same game and uh, Tyson really got going offensively which is a big piece of his overall package so I was pleasantly surprised Uh, I wasn't sure how the transition would go for young players but uh, these two uh, really performed well 
I think there's credit, obviously, to the coaching staff in Lehigh and putting them in good spots and making sure they had at least a chance to have success. Uh, but really happy with both of them. And uh, I think it accelerated development. I mean, the alternative was no hockey at all with those two kids being from Ontario. So uh, I think they probably grew up a lot off the ice as well, uh, living on your own at a young age and being around men with families. Uh, I, I think there was just so many positives. Uh, it worked out really well. One thing about that is now they're going to go back and play junior. Is that – I don't like that element of it. I don't think there's anything that can be done about it. There's no exceptions. It looks like the CHL is not going to do anything because of, of what what took place last year. Uh, but like a message to those kids going back to the CHL where maybe they're too good for that league, and uh, but is it just work on your game and, and be really diligent in the details? Uh, for me, it's exactly that, uh, what you touched on there. I find that a lot of 19-year-olds that are kind of stuck in that void of the maybe could play in the National League, but they're certainly dominant, dominant players at the CHL. I find habits and details can get away on them a little bit, and, and you, you understand it because they've got so much ability at that level that they maybe overhandle or they try to become, make unrealistic plays. So uh, you can always work on your game in a lot of different sectors. So, you know, puck management, game management, having the puck that much, but making sure you're making the right decisions consistently, and then always young kids can uh, improve their game away from the puck. And I think it's a combination of both the player uh, recognizing that he, he has to play at the highest level, but simplify. And then also the coach has to hold him accountable and, and not let him run buckshot, uh, which sometimes happens with 19 year olds at, at the CHL level. So it's going to be an interesting transition to see how they come back. I really like uh, this is Aiden Tyson, uh, their mental makeup, their approach. So I think they're going to navigate through this, but uh, I think all organizations and franchises are, are interested to see how this is going to play out. Yeah, I think the thing that's so interesting about those two, like Zade, he came into the AHL and he, he was just himself. He was an energy player. He didn't try to be something he wasn't. The T- Tyson too, but I think the thing that's so exciting about Tyson Forster is that you know we've seen, we saw that release and and leading up to the draft last year. It's one of the big reasons why you guys took him is because he had an elite skill, and that's the release, the shot, and he can take it from anywhere, and he showed an ability to score at that level as well. Not only that, but, I mean, it's not wasn't just the shot. It was hands. I, I, I saw plays in the hands on him this year that I wasn't expecting, Mark. Yeah, really impressive. Uh, his offensive game, blue line in. Uh, yeah. A lot of it's just instinctual, and then, of course, you know his shot is a strength of his. Um, but it was nice to see it translate at, at a higher level for such a young age. And again, I thought the coaching staff there did a good job of putting him in spots and he forced their hand by uh, his performance. Um, and Zade, much like you said, I, I was probably a little bit more surprised at his ability to play the same game uh, initially and uh, without having hiccups. And uh, the transformation or the translation from junior to pro uh, I find is you have to be a very, very patient. Um, things can be slow to find their way, but again, these two kids, they really adapted well. Uh, feel really good about uh, what they were able to do. Is that the biggest jump? Is it from playing, you know, you know, peer groups to playing pro? Because now you're playing with grown men, and, you know, they can range from anywhere from the same age that they are right up to being, you know, close to 40. <laughs> Yes, I, I think it is because they're they're kids that are taking a step uh, into an, a completely different level, and there's so much 
other aspects that go into the uh, the transition, living on your own, uh, being away from home, um, these types of dynamics, being around men with families, uh, and also, you know, it now becomes a, a livelihood, which, uh, you know, there's games in junior, uh, you can't really say that. So the, the level and the stakes are higher, and I think a lot of kids uh, can be a bit of a process for them to work their way through that initially, and then it's up to the organizations also to help them through that. And uh, But it can be a challenge. Yeah, no doubt. Um, what's the plan? Are you coming into town for the draft? Are you uh, going to hang at the cottage? What's What's the plan for uh, draft week? Yeah, we built a strategy a little while ago. Brent Flair and I uh, just talked about it again the other day. We're all going to come in on the 18th, so we're in uh, on the Sunday, and then continue to work on our list. And uh, I do think as effective as Zoom has been, when you get all of us in a room together and we can continue to talk about players' uh, needs, and uh, strengths and weaknesses and all these types of things. I, ex- I expect that week to be really productive for us, really effective. And, and it'll be great. Our staff spends a lot of time together throughout a regular year. We haven't really seen each other very much. Uh, yeah. We're fortunate to have a good group, and we can, uh, we can reconnect and, and uh, start to dial into what we like to do. A little iron sharpens iron in there, too. There's debates, and, and sometimes they can, you know, they're pretty passionate, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, you're trying to get the best player as a group, but uh, when you feel strongly about a player that maybe a member on the staff uh, doesn't feel the same way, you have to work through that way in a real respectful way, but you have to be firm in your approach and what you believe in. And I think our job, our group does a really good job of uh, managing how they feel and being respectful in their approach, uh, but it gets heated at times. And uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it yeah. makes us all better. And uh, I think it gives us the best chance to get the best player that we feel. Totally agree. I mean, I think people saw that with the Eagles in their draft this year that uh, one of the senior advisors and Howie Roseman weren't on the same page because of the camera in the room and people were like, oh my God. I'm like, this happens all the time. <laughs> You're just not used to yeah. seeing it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's a yeah, good thing. Great. Yeah, it's productive. Uh, challenge each other, push each other, make each other aware of, uh, bring as much facts as you can to the table, especially with analytics now and try to, to drive home your point as to why you think this player fits uh, in in this spot at this time. I'm beating these analytics people off with a stick right now because of the Seth Jones conversation, so we won't go there, Mark. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I digress. Um, enjoy the cottage when the draft is over. I know you're looking forward to the draft and all the work that you guys put into it to, to culminate there. And uh, best of luck the rest of this summer and, and in other seasons. It's really not that far off. So hopefully it'll be a lot more normal for you and, and the Flyer Scouts around the globe. Uh, thanks for doing this, Mark, and stay well. Awesome. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks to Mark Gregg for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Always great to talk to him, and uh, I'm sure this draft is a lot less stressful than it was a year ago when his son Ridley uh, was drafted by the Ottawa Senators, and he's wondering, is he going to be there when we pick? Are we going to take him? Should we take him? Uh, Where's he getting drafted? I'm still a dad, all those things. But uh, thanks to Mark Gregg for joining us and all the scouts who joined us once again this year leading into the NHL draft. Draft tonight. And the action and off-season is underway, and it's chaotic. We'll talk to you on Monday's Flyers Daily.